Open is supported by Renaissance Bank. The support of partners like Renaissance Bank allows us to bring you high-quality journalism. Leochi was your typical 13-year-old girl in a lot of ways. She wanted her middle school classmates to like her, she kept up with fashion trends, and she had hobbies outside of school. According to friends, Lee loved nature and animals. She frequently rode horses and had a pet cat named Smokey. But just six days after she turned 13, she went missing and she's never been seen again. I'm Emma Kent, and this is Open, the case of Leochi, a podcast from the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. In this episode, we'll learn more about Lee and her family. got her for her birthday too there was this thing in the 90s man uh about these three-dimensional earrings you know uh-huh. what i'm saying like that yeah like little animal earrings man they had like front and back legs and tails and every damn thing man uh and i wanted to get her some of those three-dimensional earrings in kitty cat earrings because i knew she loved cats uh went searching all over the place a week before with my mom and uh got uh got the earrings at some place that's in the shopping center where uh, William Sporting's Good is Sporting Goods is now these days. Um, but me and my mom got those uh, got those earrings there, and it also saved up my allowance. And I got her a, a little pink ice ring <laughs> uh, to give her. Jordan Morse was Lee's close friend and middle school boyfriend. The last time he saw her was at her 13th birthday party at Aladdin's Castle Arcade in Tupelo when he gave her the cat earrings. I met Jordan a couple of months ago to talk more about Lee. He asked if we could meet somewhere where he could smoke a few cigarettes and have a beer while we talked. So we ended up at The Stables, a sort of dive bar in Tupelo. I met Lee uh, as a result of day camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to day camp during the summers because you know, my parents had to work and what have you. And uh, each day, like sometime after noonish, like after lunch, the day camp kids would go to the city pool over on... Uh, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day, uh, I was up there. My little sister was with me because she went to day camp with me too. My sister was around playing with this girl, you know, and I had drawn into it, you know, because she's my little sister, you know, splashing each other and what have you. And uh, wound up uh, sharing, because somehow my, my towel got soaking wet. I don't know how. It got soaking wet. Uh, and so we wound up sharing her towel to eat our snacks on. And that's how I met Lee, was uh, up at the city pool. And she so, was there every single day. She was there every single day. So huh. that was pretty cool. So you saw her pretty often? Every single day for two summers in a row, man. The two met the summer before Lee started the seventh grade. Jordan went to school in Pontotoc, so he didn't see Lee as much during the school year. He said they talked nearly every day on the phone, though. Lee would have started eighth grade at Tupelo Middle School just after she went missing in the fall of 1992. Jordan told me a lot of things about Lee, and we talked about the case for a long time, but he kept coming back to Lee's 13th birthday party. I want to talk more about the birthday party, because yeah. it seems like that stands out to you. It does. In your mind. What, you know, what makes it stand out in your mind? What was, I know, I guess what was special about it to you, because it sounds like it stuck with you all these years. Man, one, she was beautiful. <laughs> you know, she got her say she was like my childhood girlfriend at the time, you know, um, puppy love and what have you. 
Right. Uh, one, man, she was absolutely gorgeous. She had her, her hair in a bob. Her hair was long before that. She cut her hair. She was wearing a, uh, a black and white striped top. She was really happy. We played some games together. Couldn't for the life of me tell you what we did play together. Uh, we definitely hung out. Definitely hung out. It was, it was a good time. It was definitely a good time. She, seemed, she was having a blast, you know. Yeah. It was her birthday. Sounds like she had a big impact on you. She really did, man. And not just not just her going... Not just her going missing. But, like, who she was. I was a kid without a whole lot of friends, you know. I wasn't extraordinarily social, but she was my best friend. Jordan said he was never contacted by police during the investigation. Never talked to me once. Never talked to me once, man. You'd think a review of their phone records, they'd have done that. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And we talked every single day almost. Yeah. You know, uh, for extended periods of time. In fact, uh, my, my phone number would have been on their records the day that she went missing because mm-hmm. I called the day that she went missing you called her house yeah I did uh, that's how I actually found out another friend Bart Phelps said he remembers being shocked to find out Lee had disappeared just a few days before school was supposed to start he met Lee in the sixth grade at Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary in Tupelo which is now the King Early Childhood Education Center Bart said he and Lee hung out at school mostly. He said they weren't close enough friends to hang out outside of school, except for a couple of times they attended the same summer church program. I just remember Lee, I mean, she was she was a sweet little girl. She was cute. I actually had a little crush on her in sixth and seventh <laughs> grade, and I probably would have asked her out, but I, I wanted to be liked too, and I guess I felt like, you know how kids are, I kind of felt like maybe... I didn't want to just because maybe it might not help me be as liked as much or something, but that's just weird looking at it in retrospect. Bart mentioned several times that Lee didn't have very many friends at school, but that she wanted to be friends with everyone. When I contacted him, Bart was in a Tupelo High School Class of 1997 Facebook group. He wrote a post in the group to see what others remembered about Lee, who would have graduated that same year. Bart said he got a lot of responses. Uh, There was another story uh, one of my former classmates, uh, he said that um, he remembers Lee being on the bus, and some kids wouldn't let wouldn't let her sit with them because, you know, they they treated her like she was an outcast. Is basically what his words were. And, but he said his younger sister, who was probably about three or four years younger than them, um, would always let Lee sit with her um, because. And, and he said that Lee, anytime. That happened. He said Lee's face would brighten up, and that she she just wanted to, you know, sit with somebody and be with somebody that, that liked her and treated her nice. The sister said that she recalled, you know, that Lee always talked to her about horses, and that and that at the time that little girl thought it was the best thing in the world because she liked horses too. She really loved horses. She talked about horses a lot, um, and that's something that I've actually got several little stories about her talking about horses from from former classmates and. Uh, that was the one thing that's, that's, that a lot of people seem to recall about her, um, and I do too, that she just, she, her love for horses. Lee's neighbor, Ellen Freelo, said she was talkative with all of the neighbors on Honey Locust Drive. She was uh, very outgoing, and um, she was, for lack of a better word, she was a little precocious, maybe. You know, she was, she would seek out adults, you know, to have conversations with. She just, she wasn't afraid 
of us, and we were a young couple. My husband and I were a young couple at that time, and we had no children, but we had a dog, and she liked our dog, and she would stop by from time to time and just have little conversations about about school or the neighborhood or our dog or what we were doing. Probably everybody on the street knew her because she wasn't afraid of anybody, and she'd visit with most people on the street. I also spoke to one of Lee's former teachers, Jan Key, who taught Lee in third grade at Pierce Street Elementary School. Jan remembers her as a sweet child and a good student, particularly in math. But she did say that Lee often got in trouble at school. And it was typical eight, nine-year-old behavior, nothing out of the ordinary, but she might be scuffling her feet against the floor and shuffling and making a noise, and you would ask her to stop, and 15 seconds later... It was back and stop again. And I think that's part, partly why maybe she had trouble making friends because she did stay in trouble with irritating type behaviors such as that. Nothing such as throwing fits or rudeness, nothing like that. It was just these little irritating and annoying behaviors that would just grate on people's nerves. And so children would segregate themselves from her to keep from getting in trouble with her. She was friendly to everyone, but other children just did not accept her, Hmm. maybe as readily as they did some other friends. But I never knew of her going home with anyone after school or spending the night with them on the weekends or anything like that. Long before she was a student in Jan's class, and before she met Jordan or Bart, Lee was born August 21, 1979, on a military base in Honolulu, Hawaii. Lee was proud of her Hawaiian roots, and according to Bart Phelps, she often talked about living there. I think when she was in elementary school at Rankin, school there in Tupelo, she sang the Hawaiian version of um, This Land is Your Land for the class, Um, because I know she was born in Hawaii. She talked about Hawaii a lot. Wish I could find that. That'd be pretty interesting to hear. (laughs) Her parents, Donald Ochi and Vicki Felton, met while serving in the Army in California and were married in 1978. They divorced a few years later. Donald was then stationed overseas for several years, and Lee stayed with her mother in Tupelo, where Vicki's parents lived. Donald remembers Lee as a sweet, smart young girl. She liked to be hugged. She was always hugging. (laughs) <laughs> or wanting to be hugged. Uh, one thing we both like to do is uh, when it rained real hard, go find a dirt, muddy road and drive the truck down it like a maniac. <laughs> that was fun. She liked that. Uh, she liked pizza. We had a good time when we were together. She spent a summer with me in Germany. She tried to pick up the language, but she did in a little bit of conversational. She liked dogs. Well, she liked my dog. I had a 138-pound Rottweiler she liked. We rode bikes and stuff over there. When I asked Donald why he and Vicky got divorced, he cited irreconcilable differences and wouldn't elaborate. He did say that they got along fine when they were married, though. Vicky later got remarried to Barney Yarborough. They separated in the summer of 1992, not too long before Lee disappeared. In my reporting on this case, Barney Yarborough has been a mystery. I haven't been able to find out much about him, and he died years ago, so I can't just call him up. What little I've been able to find out has come from the police, Lee's friends, and Donald. Ellen said she rarely spoke to Vicki and almost never saw Barney at the house. 
She said they kept to themselves. Jordan said he never met Barney, but he told me a story about a strange phone call he had with Lee a couple of months before she went missing. She, she was crying. She said she was locked out of her house. Hmm. And she called me and she told me, you know, that she was locked out of the house. And I wanted to know why, you know. And she said that she was, she, her stepfather was mad at her. And um, I wanted to know why. She never really told me. Uh, she said, she, you know, she was scared of him, too. And that, uh, that he was, you know, he'd scream and yell at her and, and all of these things. And I wanted to ask more about it. She changed the subject to her cat. Was that the only time that she ever mentioned to you that she was scared of her stepfather? Or were there other times that she would say things like that? No, that was the, the one and only time. Uh, most, of, most of our conversations were light, you know, kid stuff. Uh, but that, that definitely sticks out to me. Jordan wasn't the only person who worried about Lee's home life. A lot of her classmates remembered Lee coming to school with mysterious bruises and black eyes, and she always said they were from being kicked by a horse. One thing that seems to stick out, some kids remember her coming to school with a black eye. And the kids at the time, they asked her about it, and they, you know, she said that she had been kicked in the eye by, by a horse. And, of course, she loved horses, and she was around horses a lot. So, you know, that was a, you know, definitely uh, relatable and believable. So, you know, that was something that, that seemed to stick out. That's some memories I've gotten from, from other former classmates as well. As young kids, Bart said those things were weird, but they didn't really raise concerns at the time as much as they do looking back. All the uh, classmates that I've spoken with recall it from different times. I think she actually went to several different um, elementary schools. Some kids recalled it at Pierce Street. Some kids recalled it at Rankin. And then other kids didn't recall it until 6th or 7th grade. So we're thinking multiple occasions she might have had black eyes and said she was kicked by a horse, or at least to what former classmates were Hmm. saying. One classmate did say that, you know, if she really got kicked by a horse, it probably would have done a lot more than than black in her eyes. And I tend to agree with that. I mean, I know a young lady that got kicked by a horse, or my wife does, and I mean, she's blind in both eyes. Oh, wow. It it blinded her. I mean, so unless, unless it just caught her, Mm-hmm. you know, just glance her or something. It didn't catch her full long, which is a possibility. Right. You know, but I mean, you get kicked in the face by a horse, that's that's going to do a lot more damage than a, than, a, than a common black eye, I would think. But Yeah, I mean, I horses... Think, and that's what other former classmates have mentioned. Besides the stories about black eyes, there was another story Bart told me about Lee that was particularly unsettling. I do recall a memory from a former classmate this was in sixth grade, so this would have been at Martin Luther King School. Uh, it was during recess. She saw Lee kind of off by herself. And I had some other people said that, that she would tend, sometimes tend to keep to herself sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. And, um, and maybe that had something to do with her, you know, possibly having trouble making friends, too. Maybe she kept to herself more than we all. But she said she did recall her eating these berries. Uh, and uh former classmate said she went over to her and said she might not want to be eaten on those. Uh, you know, they could be poisonous. And, um, you know, and she said that Lee looked at her and she says, well, that's okay. Maybe I want to die. And she says, what, that just kind of struck her as, whoa, that's kind of, that's a little, that's a little odd. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said she did take her to a counselor, you know, to the counselor and they talked and, 
Lee kind of brushed it off as, as just kidding around and everything. And she said they stayed buddies and they still hung out, you know, from that point on. Um, but she did recall that memory kind of jarring her a little bit at, at that time, you know, and especially for a sixth grader. People who knew Lee remembered other odd things about Lee and her family, and especially about her mother. Almost everyone I talked to mentioned that Vicky could be pretty harsh with her daughter at times. Jan remembers Lee having mornings where she would come to school moody or sad. She might cry a little bit, but then as the school day, you know, once she got absorbed in it, she was fine. So when she would come in crying, did she say... She wouldn't say why. Mm-hmm. She would just be upset. No, she and said, then... I just didn't have a good morning or huh. brush it off very lightly. I always thought of her as a little girl that had a very hard life, hmm. more so than what your typical child would. And there's nothing that pointed in any one direction. It was because I really think her mother truly loved her. Mm-hmm. She took care of her, but there was just something there that, always put a doubt in my mind that she was not a typical happy-go-lucky child. Mm-hmm. I sort of felt like she had to carry the a load of burden on mm-hmm. her shoulders a lot, especially for a, an eight- or nine-year-old child. Right, for such a young child. Yes. But, I mean, was there ever any, any indication that she was unhappy or that there was any sort of problem at home? You know, I've heard people say that there might have been issues at home. And Well... I would say her mother was a very strict disciplinarian Mm -hmm. to the point where there were times that maybe some behaviors or problems with Lee should have been, not should have been, could have been um, a phone call to the mom or something like that. But I know Lee would talk about she did something at home and the mother would spank her. But we, I never saw any kinds of signs to point to right. abuse or anything like that. It was just a common parental punishment right. during that time when she was in third grade. So we, I didn't think that much about it. Her mother had high expectations, but I can't be critical of the mother for that. Right. Because all parents should have high expectations. But then by the same token, there are times when I would not call the mother if I'd had a problem with Lee because I didn't want her to get a spanking. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it merited a spanking at home. Lee's father, Donald, said that Vicky always had a bad temper and she didn't allow Lee to spend much time with him. Well, we didn't get that much time together. Yeah. Her mother was always making things hard for us to get together. I don't think she wanted Lee to be with me alone so she could talk. Talk about what? Anything. Do you think Vicky was afraid that that Lee would tell you something that she wasn't supposed to about something that was yep. going on or, or anything like that? Yes. And don't ask me like what because I don't know. Right. You just got the sense that that was the, what was going on. Yeah. Was she? So you think she was? It wasn't because she was an overprotective mother, but more oh. that. I think that she found out that I found out that she was doing some evil shit that it would have ended up badly for her. For a while, as I did my reporting, it was hard to know what to make of all these stories about Lee and her home life. It seemed like, yes, there was something weird going on, but besides the one phone call with Jordan, it seemed like Lee kept any trouble she was having to herself. 
And she did ride horses pretty often, so that really could have been the reason for all of her black eyes and bruises. Then I talked to a friend of Lee's from school, Celestica Young. Did Lee, did she ever tell you directly that she had been hit by her stepfather? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She said that she used to um, whip her all the time and, and hit her and stuff. Huh. And, um, you know, just things like that. But And, and you know, she was talking about being uh, locked out of the house one day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, how can he lock you out of the house? You know, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, he was talking about that's punishment and stuff, you know, just bunch of crap. Celestica told me there was a support group at Milam Elementary where she and Lee went to school together for kids who had problems or things that they wanted to talk about. Celestica attended the group because she was a foster child. She said Lee also went to the group's meetings. At school, they had actually had a, uh, like a little support group. Like I was, in, I was a foster child then when that, where I was going to school there. And they had like a support group for you know, people who just wanted to talk or had problems or whatever, you know. And so she was in that that support group. Like, she would come to school with black eyes, bruises all over her body. Um, she said that her stepdad um, would whip her and hit her and things like that. She didn't really go in detail. And actually, there's a lot of stuff I don't remember. But, I mean, I remember... Her telling, you know, a lot of stuff in that group. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember? But, I mean, she shared a little bit. She didn't go into detail with a whole lot of stuff mm-hmm. because she knew, I guess, that if if she told too much, they'd have to report it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of one of them deals, you know. Yeah. Celeska said she has never spoken to police about any of this, though. When I talked to Donald, he told me that someone from the Tupelo Police Department had told him that Barney confessed to abusing Lee in some way. I asked him three different times, and all three times he said, yes, someone from TPD told him that. I know you mentioned that, that Lee's stepfather had abused her, or that the police had told you that? Yeah, they said that he was cleared. I figured it, maybe he had slapped her or something like that, because anything else I think they'd been required to make an arrest unless they didn't want to. Barney had had said that to them, is what I was told. He had what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. He had told them that he had been abusive to her in some way, but I don't know what the way was because I was never told. Okay. I imagine that it was physical and not sexual. Right. Did she ever mention to you having trouble with her stepfather? No, because if that had been the case, I'd be in prison. So that was, she never had said, you know, he was mean to her or anything like that? No, but I, what I gathered from people I talked to that knew both of them and had seen them together, that he was mean to her. Yeah. But just being mean to somebody doesn't make you a physical or sexual abuser. You don't like the kids, that's the way it is. Donald makes an interesting point. I wanted to know more about what constitutes physical abuse and how to tell if that's really what's going on. So I talked to Wade Williams, who is the regional director for the Mississippi Department of Child Protective Services. By our standard, if there is a mark left on a child through, um, you know, spanking and things like that, um, 
you know, that does constitute, we have to evidence that that is physical abuse. Where we do come in is when they have spanked too hard, they've hit, they've left marks, significant marks, then we do have to step in and intervene and try to educate the parents on what proper techniques for discipline are. William said people are often hesitant to report physical abuse, either because there's a seemingly logical explanation or they're afraid of making a false report. I do feel like people can be hesitant to report it because you don't always know. Right. You know, you can, many times it's suspicion, um, but you don't always know. Some of these um, children are taught to make up stories. You don't go and tell. If they ask you where this bruise come from, this is what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get a lot, we do get a lot of that. And so um, we call it being coached. Um, we get a lot of children that are being coached to say um, things that will, you know, not result in them getting reported to CPS. When we get them, you know, it's usually somebody, you know, that can show these are the marching bruises and the marching bruises are really bad. Because if there's just a faint bruise, they tend to not want to report because it could have happened from them falling down, you know, mm-hmm. getting hurt on the playground, you know, falling at home, things like that. And so we won't tend to get as many reports on that end if it's mild. Um, the ones we tend to get are heavy to where it is, um, you know, a lot of marks and bruises, um, switch marks, um, whether it be uh, extension cord marks, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And so that's usually what we get. Although the most obvious signs of physical abuse are marks and bruises, William said acting out can also be a sign that there's trouble at home. You know, a lot of times kids may get labeled as bad behavior in school where there's actually something, some underlying factors such as physical abuse or neglect that's going on in the home. And so we really try to pay close attention to that. Our crime reporter, William Moore, followed up on all of these stories of possible abuse with Tupelo Police Chief Bartigiri. Was Barney ever ruled out as a suspect? Yeah, I think we ruled him out. Uh, matter of fact, I, he he even took a polygraph test. I mean, it's just that, you know you, you hear reports over the years, and different folks make allegations. I mean, there was reports that you know that he had somehow abused Lee. We never found any evidence of that. Those probably just rumors, you know about. Um, Mama was the one that was, according to uh, the information we got, that was the hardest on on Lee. She was a very strict disciplinarian. Over the years, again, I mean, folks' memories sometimes seem to get better over the years. Or, you know, like, but, yeah, I, I mean, I've heard reports, you know, the, you know, the teachers and folks had, had seen her with bruises and stuff. You know, she was real active little girl though and she loved the horses and would go over there to the horse stables off of uh, Thomas Street where uh, Dr. Thomas had his horses and everything so um, she was um, hanging around the the old barn out there and everything but as far as any abuse I don't know I think kids that age you know they do get banged around and, and whatever because they're they're active. William, our crime reporter, talked to Vicki over the phone about a month ago. He asked her about all of Lee's black eyes and bruises. She was short with him and told him, quote, 
As I've stated before, her medical records are pretty clear where those came from, and I don't want to get into that again. She was hit in the nose with horse apples. It happened where a guy kept horses about a block away. End quote. In our next episode, we'll look at some major developments in the case and learn more about a couple of persons of interest. This episode of Open, The Case of Leochi, was produced by Chris Kiefer with music by J.B. Clark. You can subscribe to Open on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit djournal.com slash openpodcasts to stream episodes and access additional content. Connect with us on Twitter at open underscore podcast or find us on Facebook. You can also contact us via email with tips, information, or just your thoughts about the show at openpodcast at journalinc.com. That's journalinc.com. Special thanks to Renaissance Bank for their support of this podcast.